You're listening to the Queen City Church Sermon of the Week. For more information on this message and other resources, visit queencity.church. Hey, let's take a minute and just stand. I'm going to pray for us. If you wouldn't mind, I know you just sat down, but this is an interactive church. And we believe in exercise. So, hey, worship was so good, right? Um, in fact, I was in the middle of worship and I forgot what the message was about this morning. Um, which I actually appreciate when that happens because you're just so captivated by the Lord in the room. Um, and I just want to pause for a moment here before we go through the routine of what we have planned um, just to give the moment to him. So, Father, we just invite you into this space, God. Not in the sense that you're not here, Father, but in the sense that I'm not always in the room. And God, we don't want to miss one single drop of who you want to be right now. God, more than church, more than routine, more than just songs and a message and the normal Sunday flow, God, we we want to be consciously with you this morning. And God, I just believe even this morning, more than we could ever articulate, you're going to do something in the lives and hearts of people that quickens something, that awakens something, that stirs something in a way that our, quote, ministry never could. And so, God, we just take all of our, I think this is one of the most beautiful acts of worship, when we take all of our preparation and ministry and put it on the altar. So, God, we take everything that we've had planned today And we put it on the altar before you and say, it's all about you. And we trust you. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 All right, I want to open up with a passage that everybody knows this morning. And it is a greatest hits Bible verse. So you'll be aware. And I'm extracting this from the Lord's model for prayer um, for us. And it's Matthew 6.10. And he says this in his model for prayer. He says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It's a powerful snippet because in this one line, he's not just giving a model for prayer. He's also giving the mission of us, right? And he's showing you what mission he is on. Here's God in the flesh, an invisible God made visible, who's come from, let's say, one side to the other side to make himself known, okay? And so this is literally in his prayer that the kingdom would come on earth as it is in heaven. There's no greater uh, moment of the kingdom coming than Jesus standing in the earth in this space, saying what he's saying, doing what he's doing. He is the kingdom of God made flesh walking among, quote, the other side. And in that context, the whole world is changing, The whole world is rethinking. The whole world is repenting, right? Everything's shifting. Because Jesus comes from one side to another. And in this one statement where it gives us this mission that the call on our lives isn't just to pray uh, lofty prayers, but it's to be the kingdom of God come in the earth as it is in heaven. It's such a powerful thing. And I think sometimes, because it can be such a vast thing, we um, ignore the simplicity of small things that God wants to do. I did something this week that I've never done in my life. 
Um, and I don't want to split the room over this. Again, guys, we're here for Jesus, not preference. So just keep that in mind as I tell this story. Um, but I, I found myself in a predicament this week that I don't think I've ever been in before. Okay. Um, I'm not sure how I got there. It wasn't intentional. It was unintentional. But I stayed there the entire week. And so we've been on the tail end of our house finishing it up. And one thing I like to do is listen to music. So I'll just put music on. It helps me work. Usually um, it's kind of on the little like heavier rock side because it just kind of keeps my adrenaline going. Um, and it's Christian rock. <laughs> no, it's not. Um, <laughs> But it like keeps me going. And guys, it goes from anything from 80s metal to current whatever. I mean, it just goes all over the place. And I've been on this weird like um, kick lately of like electronica 80s revival type stuff, if that makes any sense to you. It's like every album cover looks like a Trapper Keeper. That's all you got to look for. Go to Apple Music, look for Trapper Keepers. That's what I've been listening to. But this week, something crazy happened. Um... I found myself, gosh, I don't even want to say this. Not that it's bad. I just, it, I've never been here. I found myself on a country music kick. Okay. Now, nothing wrong with country music. I've just never, like, been a country guy. Okay. I love it, appreciate it. It's cool. But I've never been one to go out of my way to, like, listen to country music. And so at some point this week, a country song came on Apple Music, and it just continued to play. And before I know it, the entire week had gone by, and I know the songs now. Um, and I'd never been to this side of music before. But here's what happened, and it surprised me. And this went from anything to like old Merle, Merle Haggard to like current, well, not current, more like 90s country. Um, here's what got me. Kara comes home one day, and she just goes, oh, no. Because I'm in there like bobbing along. I don't, don't know the words yet, but I'm like getting into it. Because what I found out this week is country is just really southern pop, right? It's pretty good. But here's what I realized. On the other side of this space I've never been before, these are some good people. I, f- I realize the songs are written. They're, they're, they're not all of them, but a lot of them compared to some other options were wholesome. Just singing about loving their wife. The best they can, or their girlfriend, whichever one. Uh, but these were good people singing about good life and being content. And there was some God mixed in there. So I'm like, oh, these people are kind of half Christian. This is great. Like, um, and I'm still processing everything that happened this week. But I found myself on this other side that I've never been to. I even tried to dress as Western as I could today. It's influenced me so much. I don't have cowboy boots, so I had to wear my Mary Poppins boots. But they're the closest thing I've got. Um, but I found myself on this other side that I've never been before, and I realized this other side is not so bad. You understand, when Jesus comes to this other side, he's bringing heaven to earth. And Jesus' perspective of this other side is so different than what the other side's perspective was about its own side. And Jesus comes into the world, and Dusty hit this so beautifully this morning, and Jesus comes with this approach that those on the other side simply just belong because they belong. Right Now, when I say that, it doesn't mean that we're not going to be transformed into his image. It doesn't mean there's not this like, uh, you know, this uh, goodness of God pulled to repentance. And repentance isn't this idea that I'm terrible and I need to fix myself. Repentance is I'm starting to figure out where I really came from. You're calling yourself up to what's already true based on the gospel. And Jesus comes to this other side and he treats this other side as if they've always belong. And in that context, everything's changing. Everything's changing. 
And when I think of the church and this mission that we have to see the kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. How many of you guys know that our mission revolves around this idea of we're here to change the world? Amen? And I believe that's so true. I just don't know that our approach is always the best. And that's okay. God's grace can fix some, some things. But for the kingdom to come on earth as it is in heaven might require that we get a little uncomfortable being on our side. Okay, I want to look at a passage, and everybody knows the story. It's Luke 19. And it's about Zacchaeus, who we all know was a wee little man. But let me ask you this first. How do we know that we genuinely want to see the kingdom of God come? And it goes back to what are we motivated by, okay? Because if, if, if we're honest, sometimes as believers, and I'll tread lightly here, but sometimes as believers, we don't always want to see redemption. We want to see justice, okay? We don't always want to see someone come to the Father. We want to see them punished for what they've been. You understand, when Jesus comes into the world, he's going to the worst of the other side in front of the quote other side God's people on one side not God's people on one side and Jesus is going back and forth between sides continually in a way that it shocks them confuses them they can't deny that God's on him but at the same time how could God go to the other side not just go but embrace not just embrace but invite how could God come and associate with them and it shows you that their motive wasn't really that the loss would be found, but the loss would be punished. You understand, God's not punishing the lost for what they are lost for. You understand that being lost isn't about what you do, it's about what you don't know. <laughs> being a, quote, sinner isn't why you're lost. You're lost because you simply didn't know where we came from. It's this connection, and Jesus kind of wraps that up in this story. But what's our motive when it comes to seeing the kingdom of God come? Do I really want to see wholeness in the world around me, or do I want to see God come? Like these, everybody's heard a sermon where we're like just excited about Jesus coming back and laying waste, right? And we get all riled up, and we're like, "Man, yeah, you better get fixed." I'm like, "Well, that's not really what Jesus modeled, though, was it? Because he could have done that then." Anyway, Luke 19. Verse number one, it says, Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. For fun, everybody say other side. He wanted to see who Jesus was. But because he was short, we, some translations say, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead, he climbed a tree. To see him since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and he said to him, this is so powerful and we'll look at it in a minute. He said, Zacchaeus, called him by name, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter. I love this is Jesus style. Here he is, he's crossing the boundary, he's kind of skipping the other side, it's stirring up commotion, but he still has the attention of the crowd. All the people begin to mutter, he's gone to be the guest of a sinner. Mm. But Zacchaeus stood up and said 
to the Lord. Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. See, this guy belonged even though he was lost. For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. Other translations say, um, some of the other translations say, came to seek and save that which was lost. I want to talk about what it looks like to go to the other side and really explore the concept of changing the world so that kingdom culture comes in the earth. Amen. Would everybody agree that this is our mission? Jesus modeled this prayer that the kingdom would come on earth as it is in heaven. Is what we're called to model, right? But how do we do that sometimes? I love that this um, opens up by saying Jesus entered. Because the number one thing, and I'm not going to go down this heavy today because I do it a lot and I'll do it most Sundays. But we have to be so rooted in our identity if we're going to reach the world. Okay? When it says Jesus entered, he's telling you who entered. Now we know Jesus by uh, the gospels never wavered in who he was. When the enemy came and attacked or approached or tried to tempt him, Jesus remained Jesus. The greatest model of warfare is to simply be the thing that you are, which is a son or daughter of God. And when you're in that position and you don't move, things start to conform around you rather than you conform around them. Because here's the truth. Jesus never became a sinner to reach the sinner. Yet he reached the sinner in a way that no one else ever has. He didn't have to compromise his position, his authority, his nature. He didn't have to compromise the truth. He didn't try to have to bend anything. He didn't have to try to uh, fit in, as Dusty said this morning. He didn't try to do anything. There was no gimmick Jesus needed to adapt to, to reach the sinner. And he reached sinners in a way that no one else has even touched. But he did it as the son of God. He was so rooted in who he was as the son of God and never wavered, yet he had more impact on the other side than the church world has collectively. Isn't that amazing? Which means we have to be so rooted in who we are to the Father, or we're going to be so shaken by the other side, or we're going to hide out from the other side, or we're going to find ourselves with that motive where I don't really want to see the other side come to wholeness. I want to see justice. Ah. That wasn't Jesus. Jesus wasn't looking for justice. He was the one guy on the planet who could have whipped out a sword and, you know, taken care of all justice in one swipe. But that's not what he did. He became the guest of a sinner, right? He knew who he was. He knew why he was. And it was how he was that was onboarding the other side and bringing uh, heaven to earth. He didn't become a sinner to reach the sinner. He didn't become a tax collector to reach the tax collector. See, if we compromise our position in the kingdom to reach others, we're not actually reaching anyone. We're conforming to the world. Does that make sense? And again, I say that in a sense. Um, I have to be careful not to rabbit trail here and get off on a soapbox. But the church is so good at the boycott approach. Right? We're so good at the picket sign approach. We're good at the approach that says, hey, man, this is God's side. You guys are lost. You're on your side. And we're trying to figure out how do we get that side over here? You better come to Jesus because he's coming back and all this kind of rhetoric that we throw out. And no one's even crossing sides. In fact, there's probably more of a deconversion rate than there is a salvation rate. I don't know what the numbers are, but at least in America, it seems to be true some days. 
And that's because our approach isn't really about going to the other side. It's about staying on ours. But Jesus didn't stay on his side. He could have stayed nestled in the comfort of heaven. But he came. And he walked. And it was this Jesus that entered Jericho, passing through, who would stop and engage those who weren't from his side. Mm. You know what I think? We talked about this last week, but I think sometimes Christians have the biggest case of imposter syndrome in the world. In the sense that we identify with who the Father is, but deep down inside we don't actually feel like we belong. We're trying to fit in with Christianity based on performance. And that's why so often our approach to the world and the other side coming is exactly that. Adjust and modify so that you can belong. But that is not what Jesus modeled. Jesus modeled something different. And on the other side of his goodness and his coming was the adjustment. He never asked someone to modify themselves to get it figured out before they could come. He simply came. And in that response, this crazy repentance happened. Where they had an encounter with a God who knew how to come to their side. But sometimes as Christians, if we're going to reach the other side, we've got to be so rooted in who we are as sons and daughters. And so rooted with the revelation of God's goodness that we don't just fit into the kingdom. We actually feel like we belong at his table. Because here's the thing. If I don't feel like I belong, then I'm not going to go to the other side and treat them as if they belong. Does that make sense? And I'm going to go to the other side with conditions rather than unconditional love. Does that make sense? But it means I've got to know who I am and I've got to feel like I belong with the Father. Jesus entered. He goes on to say that Jesus entered Jericho and he was passing through. Another way we reach the other side is we've got to be distracted by the right thing. I think it's fascinating that Jesus comes and he's, he's on this mission. And there's this big picture mission, but then there's all these little moments that make up the Gospels. And Jesus, even though he's on, one, uh, he's on this you know, grand mission, he never allowed that to overshadow these small moments. In fact, Jesus was passing through Jericho, and Jericho was a passing through town. He was on his way back to Jerusalem. It's that country coming out in me, all that music. He's on his way back to Jerusalem because he's going to fulfill this big grand mission. And even in that, what should have been occupying all of his attention... He wasn't so distracted by the wrong thing that he couldn't be distracted by the right thing, which was someone from the other side up in a tree. Isn't it amazing that Jesus, on his way somewhere else, was never too busy and never so stuck in hustle culture that he couldn't stop and see the kingdom come in a moment? What what if it's these little collective moments that actually make up the big grand picture for the church? See, let me tell you. Let me tell you this, and I say this as a, a, a pastor who's uh, not the most seasoned, but seasoned enough to say this. Sometimes the biggest distraction to our ministry is our ministry, right? 
Sometimes we're so busy building the kingdom of the church instead of the kingdom of God that we forget to stop and look up in the tree for people on the other side. Not realizing that our very ministry and mission is dependent on these little engagements and moments where we're at the table with someone who is not like us, doesn't sound like us, doesn't celebrate the way that we do. Maybe they don't even know Jesus or never even heard his name, but these are the moments where heaven invades earth the most, not because we gave them a gospel track, not because we held up a picket sign, not because we told them some uh, abstract truth about a God that they don't even know yet, but because we knew how to be the guest of a sinner like Jesus, who was God in the flesh from one side to the other and took time to sit at a table with someone that everyone would have hated. This is his model. See, when Jesus prays, hey, I pray pray like this, guys, the kingdom come in earth like it is in heaven. He wasn't just telling you to pray it because he lived it. We don't just pray that way. We actually are called to live this way. And the way we live this way is exactly what Jesus looked like. That on his way to one place could be distracted by a guy in a tree. Now that's kind of distracting. You know, a guy in a tree. But what if sometimes our ministry is the biggest distraction? For the kingdom coming. Can I say it like this? Sometimes we think he's going to come in a certain way. And that becomes the distraction from seeing him coming. We think that we've got to do a certain thing. Or be a certain thing. Or worship for a certain amount of time. Or we've got to get everything just right. Meanwhile, the kingdom of God is ready to be unleashed by some random dude in a tree. Maybe for you it's your neighbor. Maybe for you it's someone at work. Maybe for you it's... Your husband or your wife. But are we so distracted by the big picture that we're missing in the moments where the kingdom comes on earth as it is in heaven? It's what Jesus was so good at. All the time being healthily interrupted by everyday moments that made up a massive change. Another thing. Jesus goes to the other side often. Verse 2 says, a man was there named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. If you don't know tax collectors, a chief tax collector is the worst, and a wealthy one is even worse. Okay, So so you know, a tax collector, he worked for the Romans. So here's a guy who's, quote, a son of Abraham, but in his culture would have been socially shunned. They would have hated him. They would have not called him Zacchaeus. It's so funny, by the way, that his name means innocent one and pure one. Because he's the betrayer of his own people. They would have hated him. He was not just a sinner. He was the worst of sinners. Okay, And so for God in the flesh to be walking on the street who's just told a blind guy and words getting out and everybody wants to be touched and these are God's people and they've been faithful. And then here's this one guy who doesn't deserve it. He's completely on the wrong side of the fence. He's not just on the wrong side of the fence, but he's stealing from the right side of the fence. He's made his wealth by collecting taxes for the enemy and taking just a little bit more off the top. So he's not just like working for them. He's stealing from us. We hate this guy and Jesus in the middle of that climate stops and picks him like culture shock how could God you understand the struggle like how could God pick that one there's so many other good candidates (laughs) and here's this guy in a tree who is the worst of sinners he has betrayed his own people 
He's stolen our money, and this is the one Jesus wants to be with and give his attention to? This dude's on the other side. I love this. I, I, I think this is so powerful because too often we stay safe on our side. And Jesus was just not safe at all. But the world changed. He was a chief tax collector. See, if we're going to transform culture and influence it with the kingdom of God, we have to be secure enough and willing enough to engage someone else's story. Okay? Jesus, here's what Jesus didn't do. Jesus didn't invite them to the synagogue to get whole. Jesus invited himself to their table. It's kind of an audacious move. Hey, Zacchaeus, come down. I'm coming to your house. Like, he didn't know if he's cleaned his house, but he's coming over, right? How often do we invite ourselves into someone else's narrative to listen, to learn, to do life with, to break bread with, uh, rather than just invite them onto our side? See, we as believers, and I don't want this to sound like I'm bashing us all morning, but I do want to challenge us because too often as the church, we want home-filled advantage. We want to invite our friend to church so that they can hear the pastor preach. We want to invite them to some kind of event so that we've got our fans and momentum in the stands and they can meet God that way. Sometimes it's great. Sometimes it works. But Jesus didn't model that at all. Jesus goes to their side, he goes to their story, he goes to their narrative, and he embraces who they are right where they are and treats them as if they belong, regardless of their narrative. You understand, this was what was shaking the mind of people. A woman caught in adultery, a woman at a well, a Zacchaeus in a tree, it's all the same. Jesus approaches them in a way that they simply just belong, regardless of where they are. And they can't reconcile this. And that lack of reconciliation turns into this beautiful repentance where the goodness of God undoes people. And the kingdom comes on earth as it is in heaven because Jesus went to be the guest of a sinner. Jesus came and went to the other side. Didn't compromise who he was. Wasn't so focused on his ministry that he would miss it. And he wasn't so insecure that he couldn't engage their narrative. You know why we sometimes don't want to engage the other side? Because we're afraid it will get on us. That it's going to stain me. That I'm going to get dirty. Like it's contagious. (laughs) Can I tell you that what's on Jesus will always be greater than what's on the quote other side. I say this often, but I'll say it again this morning. What God did in Jesus is always the most powerful. There's nothing that we've ever been in Adam that would be greater than what God did in Christ. So we can run securely to the other side without worrying about being tainted. And again, Jesus modeled this often. He was always shocking. Remember the time he says, guys, let's go to the other side. Um, he's going to go over there and there's a guy possessed and he cast him out into the pigs and whole nine yards. And he did this a couple times in the gospel. But when Jesus makes that statement, he's already challenging them. In fact, the greatest side that was challenged wasn't necessarily the ungodly side. It was usually the godly side that was challenged the most by Jesus. Because just by saying, hey guys, let's go to the other side, they were paranoid because good Jews didn't go to the other side. That was the side of the Decapolis. That was the side where the pagans have settled. That's the side where unclean things are. That's the side that we don't go to. We don't associate 
with those guys. So when Jesus tells the disciples, guys, let's go to the other side, they're like, huh? Like, what, what are you talking about? We don't, we don't do that. What are you talking about? I mean, he's shocking them all the time. And in going to the other side, the blind are getting healed, the, the deaf are hearing, the oppressed are getting set free. Like literally the kingdom of God is showing up on earth as it is in heaven because heaven's view of the other side was never that it was just on the other side. It always belonged to him. It was just lost from its sense of belonging. So Jesus comes and he's telling them simply, hey, you've always belonged. You just don't know who the heck you are. And when Jesus treats them, I love that, you know, the word points out to call the thing that is not as if it was. That's exactly what Jesus was doing with Ezekiel. Because he wasn't a good Jew. He wasn't a good godly guy. But Jesus was pretending that he belonged. I, I, I love this because here's the beauty. Jesus knew his name. When Jesus said Zacchaeus, it was almost like saying, guys, let's go to the other side. Now again, if his name means innocent one here's here's the here's the picture you've got a mob of people who socially shun this one guy and probably jesus knew his name maybe just because jesus was prophetic and all that good stuff or maybe it's also because this dude had a reputation as the chief tax collector for jericho that's how bad his name was and so when Jesus comes at the foot of the tree and reaches the spot looks up and says zacchaeus what they heard was innocent one come down the most non-innocent person in the crowd in front of the crowd who would have loved to crucify this guy if they had the courage jesus stops and says hey pure one innocent one come down come into your house invite myself over man look at the culture shock of this moment right Talk about belonging, like calling the thing that is not as if it was. Hey, a dude who stole everything, who's robbed people, who's collecting taxes for the Romans, the one who's literally abandoned everything that we are as, 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 as Jews, and uh, you're, you're the innocent one. Come on. Why? Because if we're going to approach the other side, we have to be able to call them by their name and not by their condition. This is what Jesus was so good at. He didn't label people based on where they were or how they were. He labeled them based on the way that he always saw them, the way that the Father always saw them. If we're going to reach the other side, we've got to stop calling them prostitutes and liars and thieves and drug addicts and alcoholics and uh, maybe even sometimes lost. Maybe we should just stop calling everyone lost. That might be the condition, but what if we stop calling everyone by their condition? Jesus comes and calls him by his name. You know the beauty of God's creation over us? We were named before we were lost. <laughs> and it's beautiful that before the foundation of the world, a lamb was slain. God had already had a remedy before it got messed up. And Jesus is coming with that eternal perspective that before you were ever lost, he had already given us a name. And this I don't know about you, but I just feel the presence of God as Father when I realize I was a son or you were a daughter before the whole thing even got compromised. And so when Jesus comes into the world, he's coming with that view, that perspective. 
And he's not just going to the other side to invite them over. He's bringing all of his side with him. And sitting at their table. Breaking bread. And the kingdom of God is coming on earth as it is in heaven. (laughs) And people are changing. And getting set free. I just have this conviction that the future of the church is not built on what the church has always been doing. And I say that I'm not throwing rocks at the church. I think we do the best that we can and we're probably going to make plenty more mistakes as it pertains to how we approach the world. But I do believe we've underestimated how powerful it is to sit at someone's table who's on the quote other side. See, what's happening in this story is Jesus comes. The world changes. It's changing on this soul level. It's changing on this spiritual level. But it's also changing on an economic level. It's changing on a cultural level. Here's some of the outcomes. You see it in Zacchaeus. He's having this encounter with Jesus. Now notice what caused Zacchaeus to change and repent wasn't the criticism of the crowd. It was an encounter with Jesus. It was Jesus coming to his house. It was him feeling like he belonged. Just for that split second was enough to instantaneously say, hey, whoa. Now I'm sure there's a supernatural element to this. The Holy Spirit and all that is certainly at work. But he says, hey, uh, right now I'm going to give back everything I stole. Jesus didn't even ask him to do that. In other words, Jesus didn't ask him to fix himself yet. Why? Because when you really encounter Jesus, he doesn't always have to. So when we approach the other side, our approach shouldn't be based on fixing something. It should be based on an encounter with Jesus. And sometimes we are the encounter that people need to have. The goodness and the kindness of God displayed in a people because the kingdom's come. Jesus is at his table. I'm sure they're having non-alcoholic beer. and Repentance is happening. You understand that instantly Jesus in these like condensed moments has challenged all sides of the field. Zacchaeus obviously is repenting, he's changing. But in doing what he did, he's also challenging the perspective of God's people to see an approach in a way that they've never seen before. To see a value that they've never seen before. And I can tell you what it does when we value value the other side. It unleashes and unlocks a value in us that sometimes we struggle with. Right? Guys, come on. Our, our ministry gets so distracted sometimes by serving the kingdom of church that we forget we're called to serve other people. And if I want to see fully who I am as a son or a daughter, it's unlocked and unleashed and unveiled through that moment. If I really want a full view of the Father's value for me, sometimes it starts by showing value to someone else because I'm learning to see what he sees. And in seeing it in someone else, I'm starting to see how he really sees me. Another example would be go have a baby. You start to learn the way he loves you in a way you've never known before. But have it in wedlock. Amen. In fact, if you are getting married soon, I've got some country songs I'd love to play at your wedding that I learned 
this week. There's a great one about these two sparrows and they're in a hurricane. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Anyway, sorry. Does anybody like country music in here, by the way? Okay, so it's a good 50-50. Okay. Mm. Here's what I love. And I'm going to pray first in just a second, but Jesus has challenged culture. He's crossed a bridge. He's valued the other side. The other side has seen him value the other side. The other side is now confused as to how could God be doing it this way. They're probably even questioning, is this really a dude from the Lord or is this some false messiah? Maybe, I don't know. Everything's being shaken in a good way. Jesus has extended value. He's called him by a name, not by his condition. This guy is literally having an encounter to the level that he says, I'm going to give everything I've stolen back. I'm even going to repay it four times. Which means instantly the economy is being stimulated. With the Zacchaeus stimulus check program. I mean instantly because one guy. Isn't this fascinating? Jesus knew there was one guy over the city who could instantly impact the economy. Now, I don't think that was his mission, but it was one of the outcomes. And what we do in church sometimes is we're praying on our side, God, fix the economy. God, fix the government. Fix the guy that's in office. God, give us the right plan. Give us the right procedures. And as important as I think it is to vote and do all those things the best we can, we should be good stewards to the best of our ability. But at the end of the day, we have to realize we're still dealing with imperfection and imperfect people and people just trying to figure it out. And Jesus comes. And in one story, impacts all layers of the world. From the deep of the spiritual to the very economic status of a region. Instantly, because of one man's repentance, an entire city felt the benefit. Isn't that fascinating? The kingdom came on earth in every layer as it was in heaven because Jesus was the guest of a sinner. Jesus is the model. The way to fix the world isn't to fix the world. The way to fix the world is when sons and daughters learn to be the guest of sinners. No matter what the criticism of your crowd says. That we could value people in a way that they don't value themselves. That we could call them a name that is not their condition. That we wouldn't be so distracted by going through church and looking for revival that we're missing revival hanging in a tree just crying out hey somebody see me somebody look at me gosh can I tell you this there are multitudes of these moments outside this door right now on a Sunday And here's the beauty. You don't have to be some evangelical prophetic dude walking in some anointing to go do it. You just got to be someone who goes sit at the table with somebody on the quote other side. You know what it means to be on mission as the church? We have to lose the mindset of us versus them. 
in a missional way, it's us, not versus them, but it's us for them. But in an experiential way, it's just us. As the human family, this is just us. Because the last layer here, and I'm going to pray for us, as Jesus said, because I came to seek and save that which was lost. Now, that which was lost wasn't just humanity. It was the context. It was the original intent and design that he made humanity to live in, which was the humanity who consciously knew their origin, who consciously knew that he is father, that he is good, that they are connected, that they belong. Because I promise you the biggest thing keeping people out and on their side is this shame that so often doesn't just come from their situation it comes from the accuser aka the crowd i i love that jesus is shockingly good that like it literally scares us these guys would have been so uncomfortable with jesus saying hey innocent guy pure one who's robbed everyone You're the the one I want to hang out with. They would have been so uncomfortable. And they criticized him. Because he went to be the guest of a sinner. Father, um, this mission of the kingdom coming and the earth as it is in heaven is so vast. And God, I know that As the church, sometimes we get overwhelmed with what do we do, what do we not do, how do we approach it? And if we're honest, God, sometimes we exhaust ourselves being distracted by the wrong thing. But God, when I look at you through the lens of Jesus, you are so simple, powerful but simple. You were humble, you were kind, you were loving. And God, in the midst of culture that would love to get justice, you came for wholeness. And instead of throwing a stone or throwing an opinion, you invited yourself over to sit at the table of those on the other side. And in that, God, you you literally changed the world in a way that all of our ministries combined hasn't even touched to this day. God, we have plenty of numbers that identify with you, but we still struggle with this imposter syndrome of not even feeling like we belong at your table most days. And God, I pray just over the church, not just in this room, but globally, God, that A starting point would be that we feel like we belong where we belong. That at the table of Jesus, we find a rightful seat. That it's unconditional. That it's always pulled out for us. God, I pray for any heart this morning 
I just feel this prophetically. I don't want anyone to raise their hand, but if this is you, um, you want someone to pray with you, there'll be teams up here later. But God, I just pray for any heart that feels like they're living life on trial. And God, maybe they don't even know that they are. But even when I say that, something clicks with you. Father, I just pray for any heart that feels like they've been on trial, like they don't belong, that it's conditional, that it could all fly apart, that they could self-sabotage it. Jesus. God, there's a sense of belonging you want to awaken us to. And in the depth of that, that's what real revival stems from. It's this place we have with the Father that simply is home. So Holy Spirit, I ask that you just quicken us quicken us and last God give us the grace and the wisdom help us slow our pace so that we don't miss the moments where the world is crying out for the kingdom maybe they're in a tree maybe they're in our car maybe they're on the other side of whatever preference or opinion we've formed but God, give us the grace to engage their story, to break bread with those. Because we know that in doing so, the kingdom of God comes on earth as it is in heaven, when sons and daughters learn to be the guest of a sinner. And we trust you, and we love you for loving us. Amen. You've been listening to the Queen City Church Sermon of the Week. For more information on this message and other resources, visit queencity.church.